Flexibility is the name of the game when it comes to workforce development. If your nonprofit can offer flexibility, you have the advantage when it comes to continuing to develop your workforce. We talk about that and so much more on this week's Small Shop Fundraising. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I am your host, Liz Heck, and today on the podcast we have Susan Woods, and Susan is the Director of Recruitment for the Talis Group, which is located in Louisville, Kentucky, and we'll get what that is and, and what she does for the Talis Group in just a minute. But first, let's welcome our guest. Hey, Susan, thanks for being here. Hi, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk to the audience and that's hopefully give them some information and insight on how to get a job or how to recruit in the nonprofit area. Well, that's what we want to talk about today. That's for sure. You know, as I said before we started recording, there is a lot of conversation about recruitment, people being laid off or furloughed, you know, all of this discussion around workforce. And when you get more specific and narrow, one of the things that I, I um, keep coming back to is my conversation that I had with the Kentucky Nonprofit Network in that one in 10 Kentuckians in the state are employed by a nonprofit. That, but that was before the pandemic. And a lot has changed in the workforce for nonprofits. You know, my case study is, is always going to be Kentucky, but I'm, I'm assuming we can kind of blow that out to a national look as well. And all nonprofits are changing. Many of them are having to close their doors. Many of them are merging together or finding partnership to try and stay afloat or make sure that they can employ their employees at some level. Is that the same kind of thing that you've been hearing throughout the state? I think that's exactly right. You know, nonprofits are really relying on the government for funding and or private individuals for funding. And everybody has really taken a hit, you know, during COVID. And mm-hmm. I think the government especially is going to crack down on any kind of programs. And then we have the individuals that they may have gotten private funding that they may be getting. And, and that's certainly going to shrink. And then also, you know, they were just like profit companies they were hit hard with COVID mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out are we going to go virtual you know are, can we bring our employees back how do we bring our employees back will all our employees come back <laughs> that's a good question absolutely and those are all all the things same things all the profit companies are thinking as well well before we get too much deeper into our conversation about workforce and more specifically the nonprofit workforce tell us about your leadership journey your background and how it fits with your recruitment director position at the Talis Group. I wanted to be an attorney when I grew up. <laughs> so I, in college, I um, did an internship and decided I wanted to work for the law firms to see if I would enjoy that before I spent all that time in school. So I ended up working for a few law firms and decided that maybe that wasn't the spot for me, but I met somebody that was working as a temp. And so as I left the law firm, I decided to, to do that for a while to see what I wanted to do for a living opened my own business and had it for eight years, um, working with law firms and offering them temp services, temp legal secretaries and paralegals. And then I sold it to the couple that own it now. And I've been with them 30 years now. And we grew it into other divisions. We've, we opened engineering and accounting and finance and um, administrative. And we just, we really are a 
more of a broad recruiting firm now. That's pretty much my journey. I'm awesome. the, the head recruiter, and, and, but we all specialize in a specific area so that we can speak the language of, you know, the types of positions that we fill. So that's basically how Talos Group works. And so you've told me that uh, you work quite regularly with nonprofit organizations on a professional level as well as your volunteer time, correct? That's correct. That. We do have some nonprofit clients um, that we've helped in maybe executive director level positions. We just filled an executive director uh, last week, actually. VP of HR. We've had accounting and finance. We've done sales positions for some of the chambers. On the off time, or actually part of work, yeah. I have volunteered on Bridgepoint Goodwill. I was on their board for a while. And then one Southern Indiana, I spent seven years with them. That was a great journey for me. That's one Southern Indiana. Now I'm on the Southern Indiana HR Management Association board and I also run two roundtables, one for River Ridge and one for one Southern Indiana HR roundtables. Yeah, so you're busy and you're... I'm and busy. I, <laughs> you're busy. You're busy wherever it is. It's, if it, you're off time, which educating people and that's so paramount right now, keeping them informed of the of the new and different transitions that we're going through because of COVID-19 and and other things and so it's it's really important to have people like you out there working in the field trying to keep everyone moving to, you know in the at least in some sort of the same direction right yes COVID so, has certainly changed the face of hr we we are having to pay attention every day for new yeah. changes and, and new guidance and from the cdc and from the state and from the federal government and it's been really difficult so the the roundtables have been a huge help for the manufacturing companies i know just to get best practices and to try to keep up with the new things that are happening. So let's talk a little bit more about that overall though. What does the job market in this area look like? Is it different than what it was in the end of 2019? Well, in 2019 and 2018, we were in a very tight market. Uh, we ne desperately needed people. We did not have enough people for the jobs. And so the salaries went up and up and up through I'd say from 2014 to 2019, salaries were just on a huge trajectory up. And a lot of companies had a hard time with that, including nonprofits, of course, because in the nonprofit world, typically you're not paying the same salaries as you would in the for-profit world. That's where the, it was in 2019. Anybody could get a job because there were so many out there. Now with COVID, in some ways it has changed and in some ways it stayed the same. So some companies like logistics companies have ramped up Consumer goods companies, many of them have ramped up. Food manufacturers have ramped up. Automotive companies are in a downward spiral because people aren't buying cars and they were shut down during COVID. The essential businesses that stayed open tend to be doing well, I think, but the companies that were shut down like automotive are really struggling. One, to get their people back because the people were home for such a, such a period of time. And, and two, because the consumer industry on the car level is just not doing well. It, it, there's a lot of things going on. I just saw a notice that one of the anchors from WDRB has announced that she's leaving. Mm -hmm. And her, her reasons were the same thing I'm hearing across my other companies. And it was that during COVID, she realized that her family was very important and they were growing. Her kids were growing up without her there. And she decided she wanted to stay home and be with them while she had the time. And we are hearing that across the board. So from, from women and men or just mainly women or women and men. I just had one gentleman today who, who 
turned down a job offer because he was staying home with the children and he needed to continue in that and he just wasn't going to go back to work. Wow, so that is interesting, something that I've not heard a whole lot about and maybe uh, maybe others have, that this lack of interest potentially of going back to work because of a, a realization through COVID that the family need, the priority is not so much a dual income, but someone to stay home with the children, even though they're in, in school, or right? Right, right. And, and so um, do, do you think that's a trend going into the, the last quarter of 2020 and into 2021? I think the trend we're seeing is more demand for virtual work. I think that's the biggest trend um, on the production worker or the lower admin clerical worker. Mm-hmm. The trend is more of, um, you know, I got a taste of being home. I really don't want to get back to work. And maybe if I was close to retirement or just didn't really need to work, then I moved to part-time or I just don't go back. But in the higher level positions, I think virtual work is what we're going to see. We've, we've been hearing that from millennials for a while, and we have been hearing that for a while, and now we've been forced into it, really, with COVID. People are going to expect this, this flexibility, wherever their career takes them next, is this ability to be flexible where their workspace is. I think that's accurate and not in manufacturing, of course, because it's just nearly impossible to do. But in the other industries, for example, the law firms and the CPA firms, very rigid, you know, historically in Louisville. But during COVID, they had to be virtual. And so that was new for them. And so now what does it look like, you know, for the next they're not going to come back probably till the beginning of next year. But what does it look like when we come back? Are we going to be partly virtual? Are you going to continue to give us that flexibility? That's a real challenge for both the profit and the nonprofit. Yeah, and let's go back to the nonprofit sector. Do, do you see that uh, flexibility moving into uh, the nonprofit sector as well with wherever, you know, the workspace is at home or, or at the office? I think the f- nonprofit would gain more ability to retain and recruit talent if they move towards this virtual environment that gives them the option to be more flexible and maybe more flexible than the profit industry can be. And that might be a really great way to attract and retain talent. I think they're going to have to. It'll also save them expenses. You know, you've got nonprofit right now really cutting budgets. So, you know, you could downsize your office quite a bit and have people virtual. So you're you're even saying that the virtual employee is a, is would you call it an amenity for some nonprofits looking for people to fill positions? Absolutely. It's definitely a recruiting tool. And I have a, a few clients right now using using it. A couple of law firms have decided to go fully virtual. Oh, wow. That's kind of unusual for law firms, but we have a couple. And then I have a few positions open right now that are, uh, you know, IT type related or marketing related. And they're considering part virtual because they want a good candidate and they don't want to miss out on somebody. Because you know, who may not, may not be able to relocate, you know, mm-hmm. completely here or, or would work partly from home. That's another thing for nonprofit. Virtual opens it up to maybe the right person is in Atlanta right this minute and can't get here for a few months or maybe doesn't plan on being here permanently. You know, they could come in occasionally and it opens up the market for you if you can consider virtual employees. What about the employees? Do you feel like this would be, is there any downside of being a virtual employee? For a nonprofit specifically. Well, you certainly have to worry about insurance. You know, you have to be able to insure that person because if they leave the laundry, you know, on the steps, as my boss always says, and trip over it, <laughs> and, and it's during work hours, you may be liable. So those are some definitely uh, some issues. And you have to be able to track the activities. 
So you either have a good, strong manager or be able to track the activity so you know for sure they're being productive. So some people don't work well virtually. And, you know, we saw that when we went virtual for a few months. Not all of us were happy for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. Some of us enjoyed it and some of us didn't. So some people just aren't built for, you know, working by yourself. Sure. The, the structure, it's it's kind of lonely, you know, as a <laughs> as an independent consultant it gets kind of lonely because you're in your home by yourself. There's not the water cooler there, you know, to yeah. uh, to talk with your colleagues easily. And so you really have to make an effort. Uh, any other downsides as far as a virtual employee or that type of an amenity for nonprofits to consider? Because there is some hiring going on, right? Oh, absolutely. We are really busy right okay. now. So in, really what, in the nonprofit sector or in other sectors outside uh, we, we do have one nonprofit profit client right now and the rest of them are just a variety of companies okay. so people are hiring they people shouldn't say oh it's 2020 or it's getting you know it's it's september no one's going to be hiring in the nonprofit sector or something uh, similar i can't i can't imagine um i mean if you just look at the battle that's going on in river ridge for $15 an hour, you know, you can go work at Amazon if you need a job. And I think uh, somebody just announced they were going to, I think it was, was a Target maybe just announced that they're going to move up to $17 an hour if you want to work at Target. So there is definitely jobs at all levels right now. That's good news. I think that's good news for our economy and that's good news for people who might be concerned about their job right now or, or even uh, out of work right now because of a nonprofit getting leaner or even having to shut their doors. Well, so, and I know that it, it may not, sorry to interrupt you, but I know that may not make complete sense because of what the market looks like, but because so many people didn't come back from COVID shutdown, the companies that already needed a few people now need many more people. So that may, that's why the hiring is the way it is. Do you think our, the trend that's in our area, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, is that, can that be uh, mirrored in other cities that are our same size? Is it, is it happening everywhere, is my question. I think, I think it is, but in some communities, like maybe Detroit, Michigan, you know, the market was really a mess before COVID. There was a lot of jobs, and, but there was also a lot of people out of work in Detroit. So it, it just depends on your, your location, but probably for the Midwest, it's probably the same in the cities. You know, in the rural areas, it's different. Always right. the job market. But in the cities, I would say, yes, it's probably the same. So our competitive markets, you'd say a very similar situation a across the Midwest. Right. Okay, right. gotcha. All right. So so if I am a, a person who is looking for a job in the nonprofit sector or something similar, like uh, for me as a fundraiser, it would be something in marketing or something in sales. What would be some advice, some tips that you would give this person to prepare themselves for this COVID job market? Well, I talk to a lot of people who have been in industry and they want to move out into nonprofit. And so typically I tell them, when you write a resume for profit, it looks one way. When you write a resume for nonprofit, it's completely different because you're focusing on things that you've done, maybe on a volunteer basis, places that you've connected with nonprofits. You want to have as much of that on your resume as possible, where when you're putting a resume together for, for profit or for industry, you're not really focused. So definitely that's the biggest tip, to make sure your resume is clear and concise 
lists your experience because we, we really are struggling with that. People so much are trying to cut their experience off, uh, but also make sure you focus on anytime you, you know, were on a board or did anything with a nonprofit. I think that's the, the biggest thing so that you can connect them with you. And then I would follow up once you send your resume, you know, it always goes into a black hole (laughs) and you never hear anything. And it's because people are overwhelmed and oftentimes at nonprofits, they don't have HR people. Mm -hmm. And so they don't always know what they're looking for or um, how to read a hundred resumes if they get overwhelmed. So if you call a couple of days after you've sent a resume or even a day after and introduce yourself, even if you get a voicemail, I think that goes a long way. I always pull a resume up when somebody calls because it's so rare. I rarely ever get people calling about a job. Wow. Let's go. I want to go back to one thing that you said. Uh, list your experience. I want to ask you a question about that. How far back should a person go? So say I've been in the job market 30 years. Should I list out all of my experience for the last 30 years on that resume? Okay. So I'm going to tell you something. This is what I tell my people. And it's probably contrary to 20 other people you would ask. <laughs> but uh, Renee and I, during the recession, we spoke for business first on interviewing and uh, resume writing for yeah. about seven years long. It was, it was a long time. And what we always said is you miss opportunities to connect with people if you don't list everything on your resume. It doesn't have to have all the detail, you know, 15 years ago. If you've got 30 years of experience, maybe your, your first 10 years just have the names of the companies in the title. But if you don't list everything, they can't see your progression. They can't see sometimes your tenure. Sometimes your tenure is in the positions that you cut off. I had one of those today. He had 10 years at one place, and then it's been two years, two years. You know, I've been here 30 years, so my tenure is good, and I'm looking for people with strong tenure. He cut off his most important, you know, experience for me. If you leave this stuff off the resume that might connect with somebody, you know, maybe you worked at the same place they did 20 years ago. Maybe the title that you had was similar, or maybe... You translated Spanish in a job 20 years ago, but it's something they've been thinking about and you had that experience. You know, you're looking for some type of industry. If it was 20 years ago and you left it off your resume, you're, you're missing so many opportunities, I think, to be included in the process uh, if you exclude your experience. You don't have to put all the detail. Just, you know, it's easy just to say positions prior to 2000 and list them. Good advice. I have another question related to... Sending in your resume, say in my line of work and yours as well, relationships are so key in networking and finding those folks and having those relationships in place. If I am looking for a job and I know that there is a volunteer or a board member or even someone that works on the staff of that nonprofit that I'm about to submit my resume, how do I make sure that nonprofit knows that I know Joe Bob who was on their board or who does go to their events maybe. How do I do that? Well, that can be tricky if you're sending it through a job portal. You know, you can write an email and send it directly to the person. You can have the person that you know send it to them. In nonprofit, things are not as strict as in for-profit. Nonprofit, they hire a lot based on relationships. Mm-hmm. They would they would much rather hire somebody that they knew that had maybe 60, 70% of the experience than somebody they didn't know who had 100%. That's the way nonprofit is. For-profit's not quite the same way. Really reaching out to those relationships is most important. I would reach out to Bob and say, hey, I'm getting ready to apply for this position. Would you mind letting the hiring manager know that my resume is gonna be over there? 
and then, you know, connect with them on LinkedIn and connect with the person that you're sending the resume to on LinkedIn as well. How important is social media and your social media profiles on LinkedIn or even uh, on the other social networks. How important are those as you look for a job? Extremely important, okay. both in for-profit and non-profit. In for-profit, the recruiters are using LinkedIn to find candidates, so you better be there. You know, and you wanted to have it laid out like a resume so they can see the right words. In non-profit, they want to go there and see who you're connected to and you know how much presence you have. And maybe you happen to be connected to somebody they're connected to. Um, it's a relationship again in the nonprofit so it's very important you, you better make sure that you're on linkedin and you have a good profile and everything's filled out right like everything a, a picture and all of that experience that we just talked about and yes education uh, please don't leave that off so many people do great great advice so what if i am a job seeker so i'm looking for someone right now what does the landscape look like for me and you know i want it to be specific to the nonprofit sector an employer trying to hire? Yes, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if an, the market is, is pretty good if you can offer good benefits and flexibility and potentially partial virtual job. <laughs> and people will take less money for all of that. Flexibility right now is the key word. And I think uh, nonprofits probably have a little bit easier time offering those things than a for-profit. I think LinkedIn is a great tool. I think, you know, Indeed and CareerBuilder, of course, are good tools. Those are probably the best places. But uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place for a nonprofit to go and find the type of candidate that you're looking for to see, you know, how what their presence looks like, who they're connected to. Most nonprofits are looking for people that are, you know, connected in the nonprofit world. I think that's a great tool for them to use. But I think the market's pretty good for, for nonprofit. The salaries are not going to be, you know, competitive, but... They have other things they can offer. So you're saying that the job, you were saying in 18 and 19 that the job market was having to offer more and more salary to get the right people. That's not the case anymore? And now I think the job market is more about flexibility and virtu virtual work and, and less, less pay, better amenities, more, more options for work space, correct? And less hours. Endless because hours. they're really not, nobody wants to do overtime right now. Mm -hmm. And nonprofit can offer that. Great advice for, um, from Susan Woods. Thank you so much for talking with us. Before we wrap up this portion of the interview, do you have any other, uh, you know, last thoughts in the job market? Sure. Um, so somebody looking for a job right now, I think they just need to be patient. The companies are trying to get back to hiring and it might take a little longer, you know, to hear back on a resume that you submitted. You might need to submit it twice or you might need to call and check on it. And, and for the employers, there's a lot of great candidates out there right now. They're either worried about losing their job or they've lost their job or they're worried about uh, getting back to full-time job. I think there's a lot of opportunity to find some great people right now because everybody's concerned about something, you know, and if you can hit those concerns where they live, you can really scrape off some good people. Be patient and remember there's a lot of wonderful talent out there and if we can get the right environment for those, that great talent, they'll be willing to work for their company. Is that That's right? right. Okay. That's right. Um, little uh, pro tip, this is, you are the third Susan to be on <laughs> Small Shop Fundraising. I just realized that. 
um, you know, we've only had 16 episodes or so. And so to have three Susans thus far, I think is kind of funny. So I wanted to share that with you. <laughs> Such a popular name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is, Susan. Um, so as we move on, this this is a portion of the, as, of the podcast that I always like to do with my guests. And it's called My One Common Questions. And typically I don't share the questions before I ask them, but I wanted to switch it up a little bit and see what it would be like to have uh, shared the questions with Susan. So let's get into it. Is there one thing you love most about working with nonprofits? I love the fact that when I place a person, I know they're going to make a difference in the community. When I work for profit, I know they're going to make a difference in the company. Mm-hmm. But nonprofit, I know they're going to make a difference in the community, and I love that. What a great answer. Uh, what about, what, what's one thing that you love less about working with nonprofits? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I love honesty. Okay, Liz, you know me. I'm driven. I'm, I'm quick. Um, I move very fast. And nonprofits typically don't move very fast. It's like the turtle and the <laughs> hare, you know, and I tell people that, and I hope I didn't offend them, but it would be difficult for me to fit into a nonprofit because of that, or at least any I've met so far. I think that nonprofits have a lot of ability to, to change that culture, but... You know, you're absolutely right, in my opinion, in my experience with nonprofits. And, and it has a lot to do with the fact that there are there is paid staff who needs to move quickly in order to reach their goals that they've been asked to do. And there is a volunteer base that also has goals, that also has dreams for the nonprofit. However, they're, they're motivated differently because of their capacity as a volunteer. And so sometimes those conflict and sometimes those that can slow things down because we're making decisions in a committee style. And so it can slow things down. I think it's very similar to the government uh, where they also <laughs> have to make decisions in a broader sense with more people involved. And so absolutely, it can slow down and bog down the its effectiveness. Thank you for your honesty on that one. <laughs> I think the nonprofits will probably do a lot better in the next few years because as we've moved through COVID and funds have been cut, they're going to have to learn to work with less and less. And they have actually, I've seen a lot of improvement um, in the last few years because yeah. of that, because everybody's trying to work lean and uh, gets people thinking and being more creative with the time and money. So uh, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what is one resource that you love and want to share it, for, for the topic that we have, I think your best resource uh-huh. as an employer, as a nonprofit, are your employees. Your employees can find you new talent. They're the best resource. Um, actually, statistically, your employees are the best referral source for you because I don't know if you know this, but if you get a referral from an employee, statistically, you are much more likely to have the long-term tenure with the employee that they refer. I did not know that. But that makes and sense. That's partly because they have a connection when they first come in, the person that referred them. Absolutely. And they get, you know, in day, they get uh, integrated in the company very quickly. I love that answer. Thank you. Last question. What is one thing you see your industry doing to be more diverse, inclusive, and equitable? Well, we were just talking about that today. The staffing industry, at least Telescope, has always been colorblind <laughs> because... We just need good people. You know, we don't care if they're purple, green, or yellow. We just need good people. Um, and so it's, but it is true that many of our industries 
you know, aren't very diverse, just generally. Look at engineering. Mm-hmm. You know, we mostly have men in engineering, and that's not changing. So when we have companies that really want to focus on diversity, it's difficult to get out there and try to shake the bushes and find even just female engineers. I don't know how you fix that other than the things they're doing right now in the high schools to try to encourage people to move through the math and sciences. Mm-hmm. We are just, we've had a few recent diversity um, situations where the, comp- the clients really needed to diversify their employee pool. And so we've just searched and searched and searched and try to be inclusive as, as much as possible. And I don't know what else we can do. And we don't, we, we really don't know when the person sends a resume, whether they're purple or green or, or if they're disabled or anything like that. I, I do think that disabilities are probably the most difficult for the staffing firm to get over because the company's hiring us to find a placement that they can hire right away and they're paying a fee. And I, I think sometimes that is difficult in the disability side to get the companies. Nonprofits much, much more open to those types of things. A work in progress. Much it's like, a work in progress. Much <laughs> yes. like most, you know, much like every industry that I have, you know, researched and seen and talked with, there are op- opportunities for growth to, to be better, to do better. You know, we're not here to be right. We're here to be better. Uh, that's wonderful news that there is there is an interest in getting and growing and doing better. I want to thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing your advice, your tips, and your knowledge on the employment uh, in the nonprofit sector and the workforce in our communities. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. Thanks for listening.